0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 2. Someone once told me that it's easy to start something, but it's really hard to finish. I think that this is true for most of us. Uh, Many of us start things, for example, like a job or a ministry, uh, without considering the cost of seeing it through to completion. I think it's common for us to grow tired and complacent. And at some point, we wonder why we even started in the first place. This is how I am, for example, with my diet. So uh, every year, I resolve to radically change my diet. On January 1st, I will stop eating things that are bad for me, things like pizza and wings and my favorite, chicken lovers. And so for the month of January, I will eat like a rabbit, consuming only fruits and vegetables. But come February or March, well, old habits die hard. And boy, do they come back with a vengeance. And so my diet becomes another thing in my life that I have failed to finish. I think the Apostle Paul knew something about our tendency to leave things unfinished. He knew that Christians often grow tired and complacent with their faith. And rather than continue in their faith, they become focused on other things. Things that will ultimately never satisfy. Things that might distract them from the one thing they actually need. And that one thing is Christ himself. Go to Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. That's our text today, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Two weeks ago, we spoke about devoting our lives to Christ-centered ministry. Well, today we're going to consider how we can continue with this devotion by cultivating consistency in our walk with Christ. So today's sermon is about how to continue with Jesus, how to continue with Jesus. Reading from Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and establish in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And establish in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you sanctify us now in the truth of your word? Open our eyes to behold wonderful things here in this passage. God, I pray that this sermon would be helpful and encouraging, that it would present Christ in all of his glory. And I pray that as I preach, I would make much of Christ and that the Christians here would love Christ more. And that those here who are not Christians, that they would receive him today. They would receive the one died so that he might bring us to God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as you all know, the point of the Bible is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the subject of the scriptures. And as you also know, the point of Colossians is that Jesus is sufficient. He is sufficient for living the Christian life. Now, in this passage, Paul brings us to the heart of the letter. Uh, These two verses serve as a transition point between the first part of the book and the main part of the book. You see, up to this point, the spotlight has been on the supremacy of Christ. In chapter one, we saw that Jesus is supreme in creation, and that he is supreme in redemption, and that he's supreme in the ministry of the apostle Paul. But now, Paul turns his focus on how we should live in light of Jesus, how we should live in light of our all-sufficient Savior. And so what he does is he teaches us two essential truths. First is that those who have received Jesus must walk in Jesus. And second, those who walk in Jesus must continue to walk in Jesus. So I have two points today. Point number one, walk in Jesus. And point number two, continue to walk in Jesus. So walk in Jesus and continue to walk in Jesus. Point number one is to walk in Jesus. Paul begins this way. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, as we look at verse 6, I want to ask three basic questions. First, who is Paul writing to? Right? Who specifically is he writing to? Second, what is he writing about? What is he telling them to do? And third, why is he writing to them? So who is he writing to? What is he writing about? And why is he writing to them? First, who is Paul writing to? So I want you to notice that Paul is writing to Christians. He's addressing those who have received Jesus. Now we know that the Colossians had received the gospel of Jesus from Epaphras. So Epaphras was the church planner and pastor of the Colossian church. And apparently Epaphras led them to Christ. In chapter 1, he reminds them of this when he says that the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. So Paul is writing to those whom Epaphras led to Christ, and his goal here is to affirm that they have truly received Jesus. Okay, so what does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, some of you come from a generation where churches held revivals, and during these revivals there would be altar calls where you were asked to receive Jesus. Uh, you were asked to receive Jesus by praying a prayer. And this prayer is called the sinner's prayer. So I remember when I was in high school, uh, I would attend these youth revivals right here in Queens. And during these revivals, there would be a short sermon. There would be a lot of music. And then afterwards, they would invite all the students to come up to the front, and they would lead them in the sinner's prayer. And so what they would tell you is this. If you pray this prayer, you'll be saved right? If you just say these words, repeat after me, say these words, you're going to go to heaven. Now, if you haven't noticed, here at North Shore, we don't ask people to recite the sinner's prayer. It's not how we evangelize, and it's not a part of our practice at all. Okay, so what is wrong with a sinner's prayer? Let me make it simple. You're not saved by praying a prayer. You're saved by embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to To receive him is to trust that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the grave so that we could have a right standing before God. It's to recognize that there is no way that we could save ourselves and that our only hope is in the person and work of Christ. So you see, it's not about whether or not you've prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle or even whether or not you've been baptized. It's about embracing Jesus by faith and turning from your sins in repentance. That's what it means to receive. That's what it means to receive Jesus. And that's how we know that Paul is writing to Christians. A Christian is someone who has truly received the Lord. So friends, have you received him in this way? Because nothing else I say today will make any sense to you unless you've received him. So have you truly received him? Have you confessed your sins? Have you confessed your helplessness? And have you confessed to the fact that if left up to yourself, you would be under God's wrath? Have you then looked to Christ and have you looked to the cross and looked at what he has done in dying for your sins? Have you received him in this way? Have you received him by faith and by faith alone, not depending on any good works that you have ever done, but by faith alone? Have you received him in this way? If not, I invite you to do so today. Receive him as Lord and Savior today. Okay, so what is Paul writing about, right? Back to our text. What is Paul telling these Christians to do? Let's read it again. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, what does that mean? Walk in him. Well, in the Bible, our walk refers to the way we live. In other words, walking is a metaphor for living. Uh, the word walk is used about 30 times in Paul's letters, and it always refers to the way you live your life. So you see, our walk is not based on a one-time decision, but it depicts our ongoing lifestyle. For example, elsewhere, Paul tells us to walk in the spirit, uh, to walk in the truth, and to walk in love. We also see this in the writings of the Apostle John, right? All of you know 1 John chapter 1, you're familiar with that. He says, if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you see, walking is about the way you live your life. Okay, so then what does it mean to walk in him? To walk in Jesus? Well, walking in Jesus simply means this. It means living a life that is in submission to his lordship. We know this because right before he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. In some other translations, it says, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And so the way you received him initially as Lord is how you should live. So walking in Jesus means living a life in submission to his lordship. Here's the thing. There are many people who believe that you can receive Jesus without submitting to his lordship. It's really common these days to hear people say that I have made Jesus my savior, but I have not made him my lord. This becomes evident in their lives, right? Because if you look at their lives, there's no repentance, there's no desire for holiness, and nothing that indicates a changed life. So people very often will say to the elders, I am saved. I'm sure I'm saved because Jesus is my Savior, even though I have not yet made him my Lord. Here's a problem with that. Here's a problem with this. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And if you're going to receive him, you have to receive him for who he is. And by the way, you don't make him your Lord. He is the Lord. Right? It's not as if you're promoting Jesus to the position of Lord. He already is the Lord. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so the question is, do you submit to him as Lord? That's the question. Do you obey him as your master? Do you serve him as your king? Because Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. First John 2 verse 4 says this, Whoever says I know him, or whoever says I'm saved, or whoever says I'm a Christian but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So let me ask you in your thinking in your attitudes and in your behavior do you submit to his lordship? You see when Jesus is our lord every part of our life belongs to him. This includes our family, our marriage, our job, our possessions, everything we have belongs to the Lord. So that's what it means to walk in Jesus, to live under the lordship of Christ. Okay, so who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians. What is he writing about? He's telling them to walk in Jesus. And then finally, why is he telling them to walk in Jesus? Why is he telling them to walk in Jesus? Right, so we've established that Paul is writing to Christians. But why does he need to tell Christians to live like Christians? I mean, isn't it obvious that Christians should live like Christians? Well, I think the context here is helpful. Notice that the passage begins with the word, therefore. And every time you see the word therefore, you have to wonder, what is the therefore? Therefore. Because the word therefore signals that something before is being clarified. Now, if you look a few verses back in Colossians 2, you'll see what Paul is talking about. In Colossians 2, verse 4, he says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So let's remember that there are false teachers in Colossae who are trying to delude or deceive Christians. And they're trying to deceive them with arguments that seem plausible. So Paul's concern is that they reject these arguments. That's why he's writing to them. You see, there is a doctrinal component to walking with Jesus. Those who receive Jesus initially must remain in the truth of who he is. In other words, they must remain in sound doctrine. And so what he's saying is this: Stay with the true Jesus, and don't let anyone teach you a false Jesus, because only the true Jesus is sufficient for living the Christian life." So in an interview with CNN, uh, Joel Olstein was asked, "If Mormons are Christians." He was asked, uh, "If a member of your congregation asked you, "If Mormons are Christians, what would you say?" This is how he responded. He said, "Well, my view is that if Mormons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's raised from the dead and that he's the Savior, well, that's good enough for me. I believe that they are Christians. Now, what's even more tragic than this than this statement is that when he said it, many Christians agreed with him. They found his reasoning to be plausible. And so this is an example of a false teacher using plausible arguments to teach a false Jesus. The Mormon Jesus is a false Jesus. And so Paul says, do not be deluded by such arguments and instead continue with the true Jesus. So that's why Paul is writing this passage. And that's part of what it means to walk with Jesus, to walk in Jesus. So that's point number one, walk in Jesus. Now, point number two is to continue to walk in Jesus, to continue to walk in Jesus, And so the point here is that those who have received him must continue in him. In other words, the way you start out is the way you keep going. So friends, have you ever started something and not finished? Have you ever done that? I'm sure you have. You see, it's not just my diet, but I always start things that I don't finish. For example, projects around the house. So about once a year, I get really motivated because I'll see something on TV and I'll get really motivated to fix something around the house. But I don't even make it past Home Depot. Uh, Have you ever walked into Home Depot and walked right out because you were so overwhelmed? That's me. But what I've come to realize is that it's not that big of a deal if I don't finish. Right? I mean, nobody gives me a hard time. And who cares if the furniture is lopsided or the paint is coming off the walls? No one cares. It's not a big deal. But when it comes to our faith, Failing to finish has eternal consequences. You see, the phrase walk in him in verse six can also be translated, keep on walking in him. In other words, don't stop walking with Jesus. So just as you initially received him by confessing your sins and trusting in him, you must keep walking in the same way. So you see, the way you start out is the way you keep going. And so in verse 7, Paul tells us how to keep walking with Jesus. He says, first, we have to be rooted in Jesus. Second, we have to be built up in Jesus. Third, we have to be established in the faith, which is in Jesus. And then lastly, we need to be thankful for all that we have because of Jesus. So be rooted in Jesus, be built up in Jesus, be established in Jesus, and be thankful for all that we have because of Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about being rooted Uh, be rooted in Jesus. So if you want to keep walking in Jesus, you must first be rooted in Jesus. Now, the word rooted uh, refers to something that was done in the past but continues in the present. You see, the word rooted is in the perfect tense. So Christians are rooted at salvation. At salvation, they become savingly attached to Christ. However, they must continue to be rooted now. In fact, the evidence that they have been rooted is that they remain rooted. So a Christian is sort of like a tree. Now, if you know anything about a tree, right, the roots of the tree are what allow it to grow. And so if a tree is not properly rooted in good soil, it won't grow, it won't bear fruit, and it will be unstable. And so what Paul's saying here is this. Make sure your roots are deeply planted in Christ, and then remain rooted by continuing to trust him. Jesus puts it this way in John 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In other words, we who are attached to the vine must remain attached by abiding in Jesus. And only those who abide in Jesus will bear fruit. Okay, so let's talk about stability. Uh, There is this tree in front of my house. It is an old tree. Ugly, raggedy looking tree. It's a big tree. And every time there's a storm, I wonder, why doesn't this tree fall over? Right? So many of the trees on my block have already fallen over, but this particular tree won't fall. One day, someone pointed out that its roots probably run 30 to 40 feet deep into the heaviest part of the soil. And so no matter what, this particular tree will never fall. And so likewise, if you're rooted in Christ, you'll never fall. You'll stand firm in every season of life. For those of you who are younger in the faith, I want you to look around in the room at those who are older. Now, our older brothers and sisters will tell you that they feel old and raggedy, that they're not who they once were. But rest assured, they are solidly rooted inside. They are strong. They're deeply rooted. This is why you have to get to know the older saints in the church, because you need to know what a rooted, a deeply rooted saint looks like. Someone who has remained rooted for so many years that they've become strong and stable. And so when trials come, they remain steadfast, right? This week, talking to Ellie Guillen in the hospital, one week in the hospital, it's fine. Going to continue with Jesus. That's what it's like to be strongly rooted. Now, if you want to remain strongly rooted yourselves, you also have to plant yourselves in God's word. So look at Psalm chapter 1. Jeremiah uses the same imagery when he says that the one who places his confidence in the Lord is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. A deeply rooted Christian, rooted in God's word, never ceases to bear fruit. So friends, let me ask you, what are you planted in? Day in and day out, what are you planting your souls in? Because if you plant yourselves in the things of this world, that's probably why you, why you feel unstable. But you see, God's word is stable. And if you would set your feet and plant yourselves in it, you will also be stable and rooted. So there's this hymn that we sing here at North Shore that I think is really helpful. The first verse of that hymn says this, How firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Friends, remain rooted in Jesus by remaining in God's excellent word. Second, we are to be built up in Jesus. Okay, so be rooted in Jesus and be built up in Jesus. Now here, Paul moves from the imagery of a tree being rooted to that of a building being constructed. So think about a building, right? Just imagine a building that is in the process of being built up from the ground. And so what Paul is saying here is that you are like a building. You're Jesus' construction project, and he's building you up in him. Now, this is just another way to describe sanctification, which is our growth in holiness through the work of the Spirit. And notice this. Notice that our sanctification is in him. It's in Christ, So it's because of our union with Christ that we can become more like Christ. You see, Jesus sanctifies us as his power flows through us, like the way the life of a vine flows through its branches. And so if we are truly united to Jesus, then we will continue to be built up all the days of our lives. Sanctification begins at conversion, and it continues throughout our life. We never get too old for sanctification. So let me ask you, whether you're an older saint or a younger saint, are you being built up? Are you growing in holiness? Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Now, there's also a communal aspect to being built up. Uh, In Ephesians 4, Paul says that Christians are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what the church does. It builds itself up in love. And so one way Jesus builds us up is by placing us in community with others in the local church. And it's through this community that God uses others to build us up while he uses us to do the same for others. Friends, I have never met a Christian who grew, who became more mature while being disconnected from the body of Christ. And neither have you. Be built up in Jesus by being a part of the local church. Next, we are to be established in the faith. We are to be established in the faith just as you were taught. Now, that word establish here is a legal term. All right? So we've moved from a horticulture term to a construction term and now a legal term. Uh, It's a legal term, which means to be grounded. So the idea here is that those who are rooted and built up will then become grounded in their faith. Now, faith here refers to the content of our faith, our doctrine. So in order to continue with Jesus, we must be grounded in sound doctrine. Here's the thing. Christianity is a doctrinal religion. It's a doctrinal religion with a set of doctrines that you must believe in order to be saved. You see, some people say that it doesn't matter what you believe right? It's just about how you live, right? So, so doctrine doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not you live a good life. By the way, that is a doctrine. That's a doctrine. That's the doctrine of salvation by works. And, And some people say that it's not about what you believe, but it's about loving Jesus. But let me ask you, which Jesus are they talking about? Is it the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible or another Jesus? Now, of course, our faith is more than doctrine. We should love Jesus and we should live our lives, live lives that are worthy of Jesus. Faith is more than doctrine, but it can't be less than doctrine. Friends, our salvation hinges upon our beliefs about God, sin, the person and work of Christ, and the means of salvation. And so to depart from sound doctrine is to depart from Jesus altogether. You should be warned. There were many people who began with Jesus, but did not continue with Jesus because they departed from sound doctrine. It's been true throughout church. This has been true throughout church history. It's been true of individuals, entire churches, and even entire denominations. So you see, it's not enough to just continue with a Jesus. You have to continue with the Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. The Mormon Jesus, for example, that Joel Olstein accepts, cannot save. The Mormon Jesus, who does not share the same eternal nature as the Father, cannot save. He's not God, and he's not real. So let me ask you, do you know the difference between the true Jesus and the Mormon Jesus? Or did you get duped by Joel Osteen? You must be established in the faith. Be established in the faith, or you won't continue with Jesus. Lastly, be thankful. Be thankful for all the blessings you have because of Jesus. Paul says that we are to be abounding in thanksgiving. Do you know what that word means? Abounding? It means overflowing with thanksgiving, like the way a river overflows its banks. Friends, the Christian life is a life of thanksgiving, right? The Bible tells us to give thanks continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. Notice how Paul emphasizes thanksgiving in this very letter. In Colossians 3, he tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we are to sing with thankfulness and we are to give thanks in everything that we do. Brothers and sisters, did you know that you have not deserved anything that you have ever received? You see, the key to being thankful is to realize that you deserve nothing. In fact, you deserve God's wrath, but you received God's grace. So you should be thankful. And as you also know that everything that you do have comes from Jesus, right? It didn't just fall out of the sky. Don't forget who Jesus is. He's the Lord of the universe. He created all things, he sustains all things, and he holds all things together. So you see, everything you have, Your life, even the breath in your lungs, comes from Christ. We should be thankful. Being thankful is a sign that you are continuing in Jesus. Commentator David Garland says that as healthy green leaves are the signs of a healthy plant, profuse thanksgiving is the unfailing mark of a healthy Christian. So being thankful is a sign that you're continuing with Jesus. And the lack of thankfulness might be a sign that you're not continuing with Jesus that you're not walking with him at all. I think it's interesting how you can have two Christians, right? You can have one person who has everything and all that he does is complain. And you can have another Christian who has nothing and he's perfectly content and thankful. Thankfulness is a sign that you're continuing with Jesus. And by the way, being thankful makes it easier to continue. Right? right? The more thankful you are, the easier it is to keep going with your faith. Why is that? Well, in one sense, thankfulness takes our minds off ourselves. It forces us to stop thinking about ourselves. And then in another sense, thankfulness directs our hearts towards God because you have to think about the one you're thanking. So so thanksgiving moves us off ourselves and onto God. Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren says this. He says that the life which is influenced by thanksgiving will be pure, strong, and happy in its continual counting of its gifts and in its thoughts of the giver. And on the flip side, it's hard to continue, I think, if you don't have a thankful heart. John Calvin said that ingratitude is frequently the reason we are deprived from the light of the gospel as well as other divine favors. You see, the danger with ingratitude is that it produces a sense of entitlement. And a sense of entitlement can leave you open to all sorts of sin. So friends, count your blessings. Count your blessings and name them one by one, and you will be surprised at what God has done. Be thankful for all that you have because of Jesus. So let us close with some points of application. I have three points of application. The last one is fairly long. So three points of application. Application number one is simply to receive him to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So once again, if you're here today and you have not received him, well, you need to know that you can receive him. You can receive him today. So receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Receive the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one who created all things and holds all things together. Receive the one who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and reconciled sinners by his death on the cross and receive the one who rose victoriously over sin and death friends you should receive him before it's too late receive him before he returns to put all of his enemies under his feet forgiveness of sins and a right standing with god comes through him alone by faith alone and the bible assures us that if we do receive him if we believe in his name he gave the right he gave us the right to become children of god So repent of your sins and receive Him today. Application number two is to walk in Him, to walk in Jesus. Friends, would you spend some time this week to reflect on your walk? Do you truly walk in Jesus? You see, the gospel that you received is a life-changing gospel. It transforms your life. So do you live a life that is worthy of the Lord? a life that is in submission to his lordship. Reflect on your walk. And friends, reflecting on our walk is something that God expects us to do continuously, right? God expects us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. He also expects us to make our calling and election sure. And we know that every time we take the Lord's Supper, we have to examine ourselves to make sure we don't partake in an unworthy manner. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll ever be perfect, Right? Walking in Jesus doesn't mean that you're perfectly walking in Jesus. However, let me ask you, is there any progress in your walk? Can you look back at last year or two years ago and see how you've grown? John Newton, who's the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, said this. He said, I am not who I ought to be, and I am not what I want to be, and I am not what I hope to be, but I am not what I used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that maybe I'll never be what I ought to be? And maybe I'll never be what I want to be. But by God's grace, I am not who I used to be. By his grace, I am who I am. Can you say that about your life? I think that's what it means to walk in Jesus. So number one, receive him. Number two, walk in him. And then application number three is to cultivate consistency in your walk. We're going to spend some time here to cultivate consistency in your walk with Christ. Friends, are you tired of being inconsistent with your walk? Well, then you must cultivate consistency. And the way you cultivate consistency is by devoting yourselves to the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace are the biblically prescribed means that God uses to strengthen our faith. And this includes God's resources from God's word, God's church, and prayer. So God's word, God's church, and prayer. Here's the thing. The key to consistency is doing the ordinary things God gives us to grow our faith. You see, many Christians think about their faith the same way they think about their diet. right? They're always looking for something new or something more exciting. But God uses the most mundane, everyday things to help us walk with Jesus. So let me give you four things to consider as we think about the ordinary means of grace. <clears throat> First, do everything you can to show up at church gatherings. First, do everything you can to show up at church gatherings. Friends, the most important day of the week is Sunday. Let me say that again. As a Christian, the most important day of the week is Sunday. Because Sunday is when the church gathers, right? It's when we come together to stir one another up to love and good works. You see, Sunday is when the church gets to be the church, right? That word church means called out to a gathering. And so it's this gathering that empowers us to live as disciples for the rest of the week. So if you want to be consistent with your walk, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says about forsaking the assembly. He says, Never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never miss the Lord's Supper when administered in your own congregation. Never let your place be empty when the means of grace are going on because this is the way to be a growing and prosperous Christian. The very sermon that we miss may contain a precious word for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away from may be the very gathering that would have cheered, established, and revived our hearts. Friends, God can do extraordinary things through the ordinary means of grace. And so don't underestimate how dependent we are on assembling with the saints. And don't underestimate how much we suffer when we miss church. You know, some of you have grown accustomed to missing a few Sundays here and a few Sundays there. It doesn't even bother you anymore you know, and you think you're okay spiritually, but it's sort of like starvation. You know, in the last stages of starvation, you don't feel hungry. You don't feel hungry anymore. You don't know that you're about to die. So I plead with you, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Do not be absent without good reason and do everything you can to show up at church gatherings. Second, take up and read your Bibles. Take up and read your Bibles. Friends, are you growing in your study of God's Word? You know, you should be improving in this area as you grow in the faith, right? As you you become more seasoned as a Christian, you should be growing in your study of God's Word, because commitment to the Word is one of the ways you continue with Jesus. You see, Christians have to study their Bibles. They have to study it, not just read it casually. We have to know its true meaning so that we can think God's thoughts after him and walk as disciples of Christ. Jesus prayed that his disciples would be sanctified in the truth of God's word. So devote yourselves to reading and studying the Bible. Number three, pray. Number three is to pray. Look at Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42 reminds us that the early church devoted themselves to prayer. It says they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. According to the New City Catechism, prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Now, have you ever wondered why is prayer a means of grace? Well, through prayer, we commune with God, we give thanks to God, We get to confess our sins to God, and we plead with him to make all of these things effective for our salvation. That's why it's a means of grace. So let me give you three things to keep in mind when you pray. Number one, pray devotionally. You must pray devotionally. Pray on your own or with your family as a means of communion with God. Pray devotionally. Number two, pray corporately. Pray corporately, which is what we do on Sundays and at Tuesday prayer meetings. And then number three, pray for others. Intercede for others. And when it comes to praying for others, one of the things I invite you to do, for those of you who are members here, is to pray through our church directory. So one thing my family does is we pray through one page of the directory each week. And so by the end of 17 weeks, we can pray for everybody in the church. So pray for others. Finally, we're going to end here, participate in fellowship and discipleship. Participate in fellowship and discipleship. Let me ask you, are you growing in your love for the saints? You know, your commitment to others should grow as you grow in the faith. You see, sometimes as saints get older, they tend to be less involved in fellowship and discipleship. Okay, for those of you who are older in the faith, I'm talking to anyone here with gray hair. Who has gray hair here? Okay, that includes me, all right? You are a mother and a father in the faith. Some of you have children who are already grown, and some of you have grandchildren already. And so you're like, I'm done, right? I'm done. But if you're an older saint, you're a mother or a father in the faith. Don't forget that. And don't forget that mothers and fathers have responsibilities to those who are younger. So participate in fellowship and discipleship and see God do extraordinary things through the ordinary means of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that it would be clear to us, it would be clear to this church, that there is nothing for us outside of Christ. That Jesus is truly our only source of joy. He is our only source of peace and our only source of delight. And because this is true, we would no longer turn to things that will never satisfy And instead, we would devote ourselves to the ordinary means of grace so that we might continue with Jesus, walking in him the way we started until we see him face to face. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.